This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. Welcome in to another edition of the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one. It is already episode 17, believe it or not. And we are calling this one The Second Half Begins. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score, your radio home for all the Cubs games with Zach Zaidman, Ron Coomer, and of course the Hall of Famer Pat Hughes. And we are live from 5.30 to 10 o'clock in the morning. You can hear me from 5 to 5.30. And as always, my buddy Crowley is with me. Crowley, how the heck are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Feeling revived. You can find me on Twitter at Crowley's Cubs. You can find us on Twitter and and Instagram at FlyTheW670 and at Facebook, FlyTheW. And we have our own email account, FlyTheW670 at gmail.com. Yes, please hit us up with any questions or concerns or thoughts you have on the email or any of the social media platforms. Of course, the Cubs have plenty of questions, plenty of issues as we start the second half on Friday. Cubs are sitting in fourth place. They are 35 and 57 overall. They are just one half game ahead of the Reds for the seller in the National League Central. And Crowley, if it keeps going the way it's going, this is going to be a 100-loss team this year. You know, Dustin, coming into the season, I I didn't have any, you know, wide-eyed dreams of what was going to happen. You knew right away that this team, what the plan was, you know, signing a lot of one-year deals, signing a lot of guys that you knew you were going to flip. It just has gone worse, unfortunately, than we expected. Uh, one of the big things the Cubs tried to do in the offseason was bolster their pitching staff. You know, Kyle Hendricks was going to return as the ace. Uh, they signed Marcus Stroman. Uh, they picked up Wade Miley after he was placed on waivers by the Reds. And they picked up uh, Drew Smiley as a free agent. So this is the problem. And, and when it comes down to baseball, the name of the game is pitching. I mean, that's about as simple as you can put it. You're only as good as your starting staff is. And for the Cubs, it's been really hard. Um with Kyle Hendricks, he's only started 16 games, uh, which isn't isn't horrible, but he's four and six with a 480 ERA. He didn't pitch from June 1st to June 14th, and they didn't say any injury. They just said he was tired. And then on July 6th, they placed him on the 15-day IL with a shoulder strain. So the Kyle Hendricks as an ace that we saw, we really we've seen maybe 
what, one or two really good performances so far this year, but no real vintage Kyle Hendricks that I've seen. No, not at all. Let's let's stick to Kyle Hendricks here for a second, Crowley. I have said on the Mully and Haw show that I would not put Kyle Hendricks back out there again this year. I mean, he can work out. He can throw side sessions. He can do bullpens when and if he's available. Hopefully this isn't a, uh, a situation where he has to have uh, surgery on that shoulder. But at this point, I don't see any benefit of Kyle Hendricks pitching again for the Cubs this season. Uh, you know, as it, it all depends on what his medical evaluations are, in my opinion, you don't, if he can pitch and he can build his strength up, it's a lot better than giving him like, you know, a, that long of a break. A lot of these guys are, are creatures of habit and you want him, if he's healthy, getting that arm strength built back up and, and doing well so that in the start of the season, he's ready to go in the 2023 season. If it's still bothering him, then shut it down. I have no problem with that. But I think it all really depends on how he's feeling. What we don't want is a Wade Miley situation. And when we talk about Wade Miley, he was placed on waivers by the Reds on November 5th and claimed by the Cubs. He was supposed to be a big part of this, and, and he was going to be a flip piece, let's be honest here, as we, we looked at this. He has only started four games with the Cubs. He's looked good when he's pitched. He's got a 1-0 record with the 284 ERA but he's only pitched 19 innings and he struggled from the beginning. When we got him, uh, he didn't come out of spring training, didn't break with the team. He had left elbow inflammation. And every time he starts to pitch, they got to shut him down again. So that's what you don't want to see with Hendricks and with Miley. Remember there's two trade deadlines. There's, there's the one that comes right at the be end of July, beginning of October. And there's another one that kind of goes at the end of August. But, you know, with Miley, this is the last year of his deal. So it's kind of a it's a situation where you really hope he can get it together. But I don't see them getting any significant returns for Wade Miley. Right. August 2nd is that first trade deadline date that we'll all have circled as we uh, hold our breath and see who the Cubs uh, are going to be selling off this time. Yeah, Miley's been a huge disappointment. He's got absolutely no value whatsoever at, at this point, other than the fact that you, the Cubs, picked him up for basically nothing, right? The, the, the risk reward was there, but maybe the Reds knew better that they didn't expect Miley to be able to uh, perform physically. Now, a guy that did cost you something was Marcus Stroman. He signed at the very 11th hour before the lockout as the big free agent signing for the Cubs as far as pitching is concerned. Uh, it's been it's been a tough season. He's had 11 starts, 2-5 and five, with a 469 ERA. On May 8th, he landed on the COVID list, so he was gone for a while. And then on June 10th, he went back on the IL with right shoulder inflammation. He's only pitched 55 innings. And so with Strowman, uh, every time he comes back, it's almost like he's starting from scratch, like, like a first start after spring training, you know, 30, 40, 50 pitches tops. Right. He's got two of those under his belt now, those kind of spring training starts, if you will. He was decent against the Mets in the, in the second game since he came back after he took a month off. But uh, you know, decent is not what you're paying this guy for. You're not paying him to be decent. You're paying him to be dominant, and you're paying him to make lots of starts and eat lots of innings. And none of those three boxes so far have been checked, in my opinion, for Stroman. No, it's been a rough start. And another guy who's had a rough start for his Cubs career is the fourth pitcher that was supposed to be part of this rotation, Drew Smiley, who signed by the Cubs March 19th as a free agent, 2-5 and five with a 422 ERA. 
He only has 49 innings pitched. He had an oblique injury and he was out uh, May 31st to July 10th. So you had four guys that you were building your staff around, right? Hendrick, Stroman, Miley, Smiley, and they've pitched in less than half the games. And so that has put a lot of pressure on younger pitchers that, you know, that was your four starters right there. Hendrick, Stroman, Miley, Smiley. And then you had this group of uh, Adbert Alzali, Justin Steele, and Keegan Thompson that you were going to look at for that fifth spot, maybe Alec Mills. Alec Mills is a guy who has not been able to stay healthy. So you've really leaned on Steele. He's had 17 starts, so he leads the team. He's even ahead of Ken, uh, Hendricks. And then you got Keegan Thompson, who has more starts than Stroman or Drew Smiley. You have Matt Swarmer and Adrian Sampson, who have more starts than Wade Miley. And then you have Mark Leiter, Caleb Killian, and Alec Mills all making starts. But, I mean, that's a big, big part of why they are in the position they are on pace to lose 100 games. Yeah, it's been disappointing, no doubt. You're 100% right. It's all about the pitchers. And what I'm most looking forward to as we enter in to the second half, and we're calling Season 1, Episode 17, so the second half begins, is the continued development of the young starters in Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson. That's where my focus is as we go to the second half. And Adrian Sampson, I, I really, like I said, I, I don't know, maybe he's going to come back to earth, but I think he is pitched as a back end of the rotation type of guy really, really well. So I want to see his development as well. Now, um, we talked a bit about some of the signings and acquisitions prior on the pitching side. The big signing that they had uh, as far as position players was, say, a Suzuki, right? They signed him March 18th. So he got into camp a little bit late. But he tore it up. In April, he was the Rookie of the Month in the NL. He was the NL Player of the Week April 17th. So in the month of April, he slashed 279, 405 with a 529 slug. Then in May, it seems like they kind of figured him out a little bit. He slashed 211, 278, 338. So not that good. May 27th, he's placed on the IL with a left finger strain. He misses the month of June. He's activated July 4th. Now, again, smaller sample size here in July, but since he's been back, 356, 396, 511 slug. Well, he's definitely one of the position players, obviously, that we're going to keep our eye on. Saya is going to be patrolling right field for the Cubs for you know several years as we move forward, and you have to make sure that he is at the very least somewhere in the middle of those April and May slash lines closer to the April, farther from the May, the July might be a little too much to expect, but I'll be interested to keep an eye on him. Um, as we keep going through this, um, you know, availability again, he, he missed almost a whole month. Basically did. He missed the entire month of, of June with a left finger strain. And I wonder again, if the Cubs were in any kind of contention, if he would have been able to push through that, or if that injury is just a little harder to overcome than I can completely understand. Yeah. And again, a lot of times, especially a guy that's coming from a completely different country, like Japan, different culture, it takes a little while to adjust to the league, adjust to the pitchers, adjust to the travel. I think he's been doing a pretty good job other than the injury. So I'm looking forward uh, to see what happens in the second half. When we talk about good position players' performance in the first half, obviously the first name you come to is Wilson Contreras. Luckily, he narrowly avoided arbitration, but he made his third all-star team, and he's really kind of developed as the leader 
of this clubhouse. And he's done it all with that cloud of, of trade rumors surrounding him the entire time. Well, Crowley, I think it's time to have a little bit of a conversation, if you will, about Wilson Contreras. Um, yes, he made his third All-Star team. He said at the All-Star break, at the festivities, the media day, if you will, there, that he believes that he will play in another All-Star game as a Cub, um, maybe down the line. But do you see any chance of him playing another game for the Cubs this year in Wrigley Field? I think there's a possibility. You got a couple games before uh, the all uh, before the trade deadline. I think um, that we will see him at Wrigley again. I do not believe he will have another All Star game in a Cubs uniform. I think once he's gone, he's gone. And anyone that th- I mean, Wilson's a guy that is is a lot of heart. He wears his heart on his sleeve. We all know that. There's your brains and then there's your heart and there's two different things there. And there's going to be a time where he is going to get a, a, a good deal. And he's going to go to a contender. And for Wilson, who's played for nothing but contenders in his, you know, he comes up in 2016. He's always been in contentions. He's never been out of it like the Cubs have been since, like, honestly, almost the end of April, early May. But that's got to be tough for him. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see him, you know, once he gets to another place, how he fits in. And then see what he can get in the offseason free agency. Do, Do I absolutely rule out a comeback to Chicago? No, but if the Cubs didn't want to sign him to an extension when they didn't have to compete against 29 other teams, why would they do it having to compete? It doesn't make any sense. There's no logic to it, in my opinion. Right. There is no, there is no logic to it. I'm still, I'm still holding out hope, but at this point, the logic has to keep uh, kick in and you have to uh, you know, think about it more and not be a fan and, and using your heart. So yeah, Wilson is probably gone. And now the next question is, what do you get back for him? It's it's a catcher and a hitter like that is hard. And and especially Juan Soto kind of getting into the mix kind of throws things off a little bit. He turned down the $400 million deal. Um, but, uh, you know, he's a catcher, but he can also DH. A lot of times you see people looking for pitching and relievers. Those are the two things that really people look at. So I don't know if you're going to get a huge return, but I think what the Cubs showed last season, if we go over – you know, some of those trades that they made for Rizzo, for uh, Bryant, for uh, Javi, you could see they got some pretty good returns for them. And same with the U Darvish trade. So I'm hoping that the scouting and development's a lot better. And they have, you know, I'm sure they have their trade partners kind of, you know, they, they kind of have a feelers out over who's interested in Wilson and they're looking through the system and hopefully they do as good a job as they did with those other guys on the trade. Well, I'm hoping these are at least $25 scratch-offs, Crowley. None of the none of this dollar stuff, okay? These got to be $25 scratch-offs for a guy like Wilson Contreras. Now let's move over to Ian Happ, the other Cubs all-star, also potentially somebody that uh, could get traded. His trade value, Crowley, will never be higher. So I think it's now or never with Ian Happ. Yeah, he slashed 274, 364, 443. Great story. A guy that was basically told a year ago that he was – losing his starting position job and kind of was unsure of himself. And he's really turned it around this season. Uh, former first round pick, you know, I, I agree. You're never going to get probably more than you are right now. You have another year after this season. So you can always work into the off season and kind of come up with an extension there, even though it seems like the Cubs are allergic to uh, off season extensions, but um, <laughs> I would really, 
you have to have something to build around. So, you know, it, it would be very difficult for me to see both Contreras and Hap. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I would, I, I figure you have to keep one of them and use that person and say a Suzuki to build around. And hopefully, you know, with, with Ian Hap being a, you know, a, a pretty good fielder and a switch hitter that they're going to decide to keep him. Um, I don't know. Now I know this is kind of some news, but Miguel Amaya, who was the number one Cubs catching prospect is leaving the Arizona facilities and he's going to be going to double a Tennessee. So we're talking more about the major league team, but I'm wondering very much so. And there's another catcher Moises Ballesteros uh, that's in the system, but I'm wondering how much, you know, that factors into the decision. I'm not sure it does, but it, to me, it, it's very interesting to kind of keep in mind. Well, you definitely can connect those dots, Crowley. There's no doubt about that. When I heard that news, my my Wilson Contreras is being traded meter. Wah, 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 wah. That's what it screamed. Now, it could just be coincidence, but we basically have not heard Amaya's name all year. Unless you're really grinding on the Cubs and digging in, you haven't heard a word about him. And now all of a sudden he pops back up into your news feed. You're seeing stuff on social media about him. Oh, by the way, the trade deadline is August 2nd. Right. So it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, another good, though, player besides Contreras and Hap, he's a guy that I like to be on an all-star. And like I said, at shortstop, there was very little chance. But the guy, he, Nico Horner, what, you know, a lot of question marks over whether he is a shortstop, even today, probably questions about it but all he's done is answer the bell comes into camp in absolutely phenomenal shape he's batting 307 344 423 that slugging number of 423 has surprised me you know I thought he'd be just kind of more of spraying some singles around that kind of stuff he has been hitting the ball with authority and the defense at shortstop has been really really good is he great I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't put him in the great category but really good defense with really good numbers and, and to me, if, if there's a guy up with two outs and at the plate and runners in scoring position, honestly, Nico Horner's the guy I have the most faith in, to be honest with you. Right. He should probably be batting a little bit higher in the batting order if you wanted to make that argument as well more times than not. Um, he's a real try-hard guy, though, I believe. I believe he could be great at second, I think he's good and adequate at short. It just, again, seems to me that he puts every ounce of effort into every throw when he makes it. Now, again, he makes the play, but he make, he doesn't make anything look easy. And that's always the beauty to me at shortstop when these guys make plays that you or I probably could never make. They make them look just so effortless. Now, he makes the plays, but he makes them look very hard when he makes them. And again, that, that the free agent class of shortstops, you know, headlined by Carlos Correa if he opts out, or Xander Bogarts, who we had on this, we had uh, Bob Nightingale talking about uh, those rumors earlier. I mean, you get one of those guys, it's a it's a no doubter, you know, and I have no problem with Nico uh, sliding over to second. Um, one of the best stories of the first half was Christopher Morel. Uh, he came up from double A, so he skipped triple A altogether May 17th. He hits a home run in his first at bat and goes on a 22 game on base streak to start his career. He played center and second. His slash line 266, 338, 477 with nine home runs. You know, you saw the numbers start to dip a little bit more at the end, but he has played the game with a joy and an energy that has been very much needed 
in Chicago, especially after last season's trade deadline moves. Crowley, I'm going to push all my Cubs chips into the middle of the table, if you will. Christopher Morrell has definitely been the highlight of my Cubs watching and listening to the games on 670 The Score. He has been um, great, and I appreciate the fact that I heard Connor Hawkins on the score. I believe it was with Bernstein and uh, Lawrence Holmes, and he even admitted that he has been better than they would have even thought, that he can't sit here and say, well, of course we knew that he was going to be this special and he was going to bring this kind of energy. So he has been the total package. Now the biggest question to me is, is he a second baseman? Is he is he a center fielder? Is he the top of the order guy? Is he better at the bottom of the order? Um, but I want to see him play every day as much as possible as we have the second half of the season ahead of us. In my opinion, and I know it's probably not a popular one, he, they, he is more ticketed to be the um, be someone that would be like the Ben Zobrist Swiss Army knife piece that is going to be the one that will can go to a lot of different places and not be affected by moving around. And so when you talk about, okay, maybe we get a short stop, Nico goes to center or second. And then if you take a look at the guys in the system, Brendan Davis says he's coming back and playing this season. He had a back issue in triple a Pete Crow Armstrong just played in the futures game this last week, got a double Um, those type of guys, all of a sudden there's going to be, a, I don't know if it's next year, I can't say, but there is going to be a, a, a group of young, talented outfielders knocking on the door. So for me, Chris Morrell kind of uh, plays into that Ben Zobris type role. Well, listen, I, it's your lips to God's ears. I hope that there's enough young talent coming up in, in a shorter time as opposed to a longer time that you would have the, um, what what's the right word for it? You would have the luxury, I think. It's very hard to use the word luxury with the Cubs these days, but that you would have the luxury to to be able to move a guy like Christopher Morell around, like you're saying. Now, what you're saying makes all the sense in the world. I just, boy, I just hope that's not two or three years from now. I can't promise you that. You know, it, development's a funny thing, but uh, it, it'll be interesting. Is all I have. You know what? And if he's a stopgap piece until those guys are ready, I'm fine with that too. All right, let's talk a little bit about the bad. We try to be more glass half full here on the fly, the W670 podcast. But, of course, there is bad Crowley, and we have to talk about it. So let's talk about it. Um, You know, there was the big two question marks. Last year in the second half, two guys that blew up on the scene were uh, Patrick Wisdom and Frank Schwindel. And they are two guys that are so easy to root for, some of the nicest, friendliest guys and they, they kind of came, you know, you're, you're replacing Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. Good luck with that. But they were fun, likable guys that did a great job in the second half of last season. Um, the question marks were, were, could they do it th- through a full season? Can, you know, when you have guys that are in 29, 30 years kind of making their, you know, regular start debuts, that's very unusual. Uh, Wisdom hasn't hit very well. I mean, he, he's not a guy that hits a lot. He's more of a slug guy. He's a 220, 316, 441. So the slug's there. He has 17 home runs, so he leads the league. But that average being 220 is really low. And he's made more errors than I was hoping for in defense. He's got a pretty good arm, but he's made some errors that have been costly. Uh, So that's been a tough one. Um, Frank Schwindel this season, when you looked at Frank Schwindel, uh, he had a back issue in spring training that affected him. And I don't know how healthy he's been all season. 
He's slash lines 238, 283, 383 with eight home runs. So those two guys haven't really provided what you were hoping for at the corners. You wanted a little bit more from them, no doubt. Hard to replace Bryant and Rizzo, of course. They're, they're big shoes to fill. They're both very nice guys. My, I guess the biggest disappointment between the two of those guys is the is the errors that Wisdom has been throwing up. But, but my biggest, um, hottest, worst, most disappointing thing for the Cubs so far is the next player you'd like to talk about, Crowley. <laughs> Nikki Two Strikes Magical. Uh, Who? Yep, Nicky Magical, wherever he may be, 31 games he's played. He's been injured most of the season. When he has played, it's been bad. Now, here's the thing about Nick Magical. His slash line is and, – and when you talk about slash line, right, you're breaking down your batting average, right, how many hits you get per, like, say, 10 bats. And then you got your on base, how often you get on base, which would be uh, – those are guys that walk, get hit by pitch, any way that you get on base, and then you have your slugging. Nick Magical, that Nicky Two Strikes name, comes from the fact that he was a guy that would spray the ball all over the field. He's not going to slug a lot, so you're not going to get the slug, which is low, which is normal for him. He doesn't get on base. He doesn't walk a lot. So that on-base percentage is going to always be low. That's what we're, we're – nobody had any imagination that that was going to change. But 222, and the thing that's been killing him is he's constantly hitting the ball on the ground – and so they've really gotten nothing out of him so far this season. He was a big part of the Craig Kimbrell trade, which doesn't seem so far to have worked out for anybody. Um, the other Cody Hewer has been on the injured list all the season. So uh, it, it's been a, it's been a tough one. And so hopefully uh, magical bounces back in the second half. The question is who do you move Morel? I mean, or, or who do you move? That's, that's the big question here. Well, you'd have to move Morel, right? You'd have to move Morel back to center. I want him playing every day maybe we see him and left a little bit but i mean if, if nick madrigal is going to return he has to play as much as possible so you can figure out if he is potentially the answer at second base because he has no other position right crowley i mean nick madrigal is a second baseman and i'm saying that nico horner could be a great an all-star caliber second baseman while he's going to be eh, at shortstop well that leads us to our second big problem that we have to take a look at which is jason hayward Will he be DFA'd? He has been injured, quote-unquote, since June 30th with some knee inflammation. His slash line was lower than Wisdom's, Swindell's, Magical, pretty much anybody on the team at 204, 278, 277. That's just awful, and he's your highest-paid player on your team. Uh, you saw Robin Con Robinson Cano get DFA'd by the Mets. Obviously, they're going for it. The Cubs have a lot of respect for Jason Hayward. The issue here is, is you have these two guys that are on the IL in Magical and Hayward. Now, maybe they're going to both come back. And if they do, you have to think that Chris Morrell is going to be the odd man out on that one, to be honest with you, unless they're willing to DFA Jason Hayward, which by all accounts doesn't seem like something they really want to do. No, I don't think they'll DFA him, but there's no reason he can't sit next to uh, his buddy David Ross on the bench. If that's the case, then so be it. But it's got to continue to develop. You have to continue to develop Christopher Morrell. There's no, I don't want to see Jason Hayward playing center field and Morrell either playing on the bench, being the Swiss Army knife, if you will, or back down into double A AA or triple A. 
but you know this and I know this. And and how many times were we banging our head that guys weren't getting at bats? The the biggest one, one of the big stories in the first half was uh, Clint slash Jackson Frazier, uh, who we just wanted to take a look at, and and he never really got that opportunity. Uh, Jason Hayward got the at bats. Uh, Frazier's been doing really good uh, since he accepted his. He was DFA'd, and he accepted his assignment in Iowa, which you know worked out for the Cubs, and he looked really good. We talked to Alex Cohen, the voice of the the Iowa Cubs. You know what? Boy, there's just so many questions that you want to ask yourself as we come into you know getting closer and closer to this trade deadline. But I don't know. I know I know Jason Hayward needs to sit. You do. Do David Ross and Jed Hoyer? Well, I think they know. I think it's just a matter of, you know, their friendship, what he's meant to the organization, all those kinds of things. But uh, let's give him the opportunity. Let's see. Maybe he will have a air quote ongoing knee that just doesn't get right and they can hide him on the uh, injured list. Okay, Crowley, let's really quick move into a very overworked, very overtaxed and okay bullpen so far for the Cubs. Yeah, if it's one thing the Cubs have been able to do, it's been develop some pretty good relievers. They made a great signing in David Robertson. Uh, he's had 13 saves. He has experience as a closer. He is definitely getting traded, and I think he could provide something back in return. So good on the Cubs on that. Chris Martin, not the lead singer of Coldplay, has looked pretty good out there. And Scott Efros has really been uh, David Ross's security blanket, the guy he looks to at any high leverage situation, and he's done a great job. Uh, On the flip side, Rowan Wick, uh, just, you know, he was a guy that looked really good before he got injured last season, and just it hasn't happened this season for whatever reason. Michael Rucker has struggled. And then Daniel Norris was awful, and that leads us to our DFA list, guys that are no longer here. I don't know if we have any end memoriam music as they are no longer with us, but uh, (laughs) Jonathan VR, gone. Daniel Norris, gone. Matt Swarmer, gone. Sean Newcomb and Ildemaro Vargas, so may they rest with another team somewhere else. Do any of them get a video tribute when they return to Wrigley Field potentially with another major league team? I hope not, but uh, Swarmer, I have to double check on if he accepted his assignment with the Cubs, which I assume that he would. So, you know, you may see Swarmer back, but the rest of those guys are long gone and for, and hopefully forgotten. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data wasabi another boston-based championship team it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle 
a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 17. We're calling this one. The second half begins, and it is just around the corner. But the first half of the Major League Baseball season, the the defining line, the the marker, if you will, is the All-Star game. This year it was out in L.A. The Cubs had two players out there. And WGN had a sports anchor out there. His name is Josh Friedman. And he visited with us about the Cubs in the first half and what he's looking to see out of the Cubs in the second half and all things all-star game in LA. Next up on Fly the W, I'm here with Josh Friedman from WGN Sports. How you doing, Josh? I'm good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Hey, how exciting. You're at the airport in LA. You <laughs> just got to see the all-star game and the home run derby. That had to have been all sorts of excitement. Yeah, coming to you live from LAX, which is always fun. Uh, I actually had no trouble getting into the United Terminal, so just waiting for my uh, my flight in a couple hours. So yeah, it's uh, it's a great experience. You know, this is my first All Star baseball game that I got to cover, and to uh, come out to LA Dodger Stadium, which I not hosted in 42 years, which is pretty crazy when you think about the history of Dodger Stadium and uh, the third oldest ballpark in baseball behind Wrigley and Fenway. Um, I will say that as beautiful as the picturesque backdrop is at Dodger Stadium the uh, ballpark itself probably not equipped to host an event like this they have two elevators and um it was jam-packed we were like sardines trying to get through you know this because we're up in the the left field auxiliary box the majority of the press is up there um you know the the writers for the major papers are, are in the regular press box so that was my only critique of the two days that I was at Dodger Stadium but Otherwise, it was a really fun event. Um, the red carpet was cool on Tuesday, watching all the athletes and their play and their families um, get dressed up to the nines and kind of talk about fashion a little bit and have some fun. And that's what it really is about, just an exhibition to, uh, to honor the game's greats and uh, have a good time as well. Yeah, I was shocked like you about the fact that uh, L.A. had not hosted for so long. And that brings us to another area. Wrigley Field hasn't hosted since 1990. And yeah. I, I, I know, obviously, the pandemic threw things off and other things, but it's about time that Wrigley Field, with all the renovations and everything that they've done, when do you see Wrigley potentially hosting an all-star game? I think so. I think we're probably going to see it before the end of the decade. And uh, I know that seems like a long way away, but you know they announced the games years in advance. So I know next year's in Seattle. I believe the year after 2024 has a uh, location. I don't know exactly where it is, but I think they already have announced 2024. Um, but if not, yeah, Wrigley should be, you know, in the next three, four, five years, I would hope, because as you mentioned, you got to go back um, 32 years now to 1990. And since they have the renovations, um, you should be able to host an event like this, obviously having now hosted a World Series and many playoff series in the last six, seven years, you should be able to have an event of this caliber in one of your marquee markets franchises and ballparks at Wrigley Field so I think it would be an awesome event um, I think having a home run derby there with fans lined up on Waveland and Sheffield like they were back in 98 for McGuire and Sosa um, that would be awesome too so yeah I, I would really think um, Wrigley is ready I think the the fan base and the Ricketts family is ready that's why they poured money into the renovations to not only um, help with the fan experience and with the the player experience too but to host a marquee event like the all-star game 
Now, Josh, I, I was looking here. One of the first events that they have is the Futures game. And I got to scratch my head. I don't understand why they don't put that as the Sunday night game, you know, like kind of showcase the young stars. Um, but the Cubs did have PCA, Pico Armstrong, who's now who started with Myrtle Beach, now in South Bend. He did have a double in the game, played some center field. You did a recent uh, interview with him. What are your thoughts on PCA and how does he look to you? Yeah, and to answer your first question, Crawley, the game used to be on Sundays, but now the draft is basically it's the same week as the All-Star game. So the event schedule has changed since the pandemic. So now they have the draft on Sunday night for rounds one and two. They play out the rest of the draft Monday, Tuesday. So they push the Futures game up to Saturday. But you're right, it was weird because I flew in Saturday and the game was basically already going on at Dodger Stadium. And then Sunday there was nothing besides the draft at night. So um, I think Rob Manfred even mentioned it's cool to have all those events in the same week, but it's very tough for the teams and all their personnel to manage everything too. So they'll hopefully figure something out to change that in the future. But as far as PCA, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, took a road trip to South Bend, got to uh, interview him and uh, get to know him a little bit better. Really intriguing prospect for Cubs fans who don't know his backstory. He was the prime prospect acquired in the hobby bias trade, which is coincidental that he grew up a hobby bias fan. He's a Cubs fan, even though he's from Los Angeles. This is a homecoming for him to come play in the Futures game in L.A. Both his parents are Hollywood actors. His mom, Ashley Crow, was actually the mom in the movie Little Big League. So got a little baseball connection there. But I asked PCA, I was like, did you ever want to be an actor? He's like, hell no. He had no interest doing the Hollywood thing because he would go on set. He would watch his parents' work schedules. And it's it's crazy to be an actor, right? You know, the, the yacht hours and, and everything like that. So he never got the acting bug, but grew up playing sports, baseball, since he was a little kid. His dad, he says, is a good wiffle ball player. So he would help him get ready in the backyard and play when he was younger. And uh, yeah, one of those kids who's just 20 years old, super speedy center fielder who could be a gold glove caliber outfielder uh, talking to his head coach or to his manager rather at high a South Bend. He told me he's a walking triple. So the kid has speed. The kid still needs to work on a little bit of his uh, approach at the plate, but at 20 years old, that's kind of what you uh, expect from a guy at that age uh, coming straight out of high school and uh, Harvard Westlake, which has produced lots of prime big league prospects that uh, have going on to playing all-star games like Lucas Giolito and Max Freed and Jack Flaherty. So um, the pedigree is there, and he's, he's a good kid. Talking to him, he uh, was, was smart. He, you know, was thoughtful as well, and he's, he's just focused on baseball, man. It's just like that's all the, get, the kid eats and, and sleeps and drinks and, you know, to already make the ascension from Myrtle Beach to South Bend this year. Hopefully Double uh, A is not too far behind. I got to tell you, my favorite event out of all of it, I'm, I, you know, I don't know. The, the Home Run Derby, to me, absolutely gets me all pumped up. I love the Home Run Derby. But I got to ask, right? So the Cubs didn't have a representative there, but we all know that Kyle Schwarber is forever a Cub. So you had Chicago. I was down at Murphy's on Monday night watching, and I'm rooting in it. And I'm, you know, Schwarber's number one seed, and Pujols is, is the bottom seed. I, I got to ask you, you really, do you think that he legitimately lost to Pujols or was there a little bit of deferential treatment for the living legend, Albert Pujols? Because I, 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 I've seen questions about the counting of the home runs. I've seen all sorts of things. This, this just kind of is funky to me. I don't know, Josh, we were there. What did you see? 
I like the conspiracy theory, man. Uh, no, I, don't, I, I don't think that uh, by any means Schwarber was um, loafing it or trying to give Pools a chance to, um, you know, go out a champion in his swan song. It was cool that Albert was in it, 42 years old. That was one of the themes of the weekend here. Everybody, you know, talking about Albert, their experiences with him, honoring him uh, for what will be his, his last time. Um, in a major league all-star game, he was a commissioner's exemption pick. Obviously, would not have just made it on merit at 42 years old. It's basically a basically a pinch hitter at this point in his career. Uh, but one of the game's all-time greats, uh, you know, Schwarber. You know, I got to talk to him earlier on Monday, and you know, look, he he hadn't been in this event in years, and he lost in the championship to Bryce Harper. So he wanted to come back and do this, and he wanted to win it all. And he is uh, having an incredible season, leads the National League in home runs. So I don't think he was looking to be like, you know what, I'm going to tank so Albert Pujols can get a chance to move on to face, uh, what was it, Soto in the second round. So, yeah. no, I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think that was it. But um, <laughs> I was surprised at the outcome for sure. Because I, I was so mad. We were talking on the last episode in 2018 how Bryce Harper ripped him off by not following the rules. And then that's <laughs> – I don't know if you remember that because he kept telling his dad, throw it before the ball lands. Right, and, I'm, right. and I'm saying this seriously because MLB has gotten into the gambling business. Let's be honest about it. And obviously this game is about fun and exhibition, but if people are laying money, I'm not a gambler, Josh. I, I, I'm not good at it. So I don't do it, but I'm not like, good at it, but I, I am a gambler. <laughs> but imagine if you put money on say the home run derby and say, like that 2018 situation where, I mean, would you have to enforce the rules more closer? Have you, did it look any different? I mean, you had never been to one before. I just didn't know, like, you know what I mean? Cause like normally it was just for fun. Like, okay, Bryce Harper wins. Cause it's Washington and he's the hometown guy, but like, they're going to have to kind of tighten that up with gambling involved now. Right. Yeah. That's a good point about the gambling and stuff like that. Cause you're right. You know, you can skirt the rules a little bit and there were clearly violations when it comes to all right, you know, they have to technically, I believe the rule is still when the ball lands. So if it's a home run, it's got to land before the next pitch. And I'm in the left field seats, you know, that's where the auxiliary press box is. So we get a pretty good view um, from up there when a guy launches one and they wait like two seconds and then he's throwing one before the ball even lands. So the, clearly everybody is doing that. But there were a few times where you saw where the clock would expire, then they would throw the ball, then he would hit a home run and they would count it. I think because it's all fun and exhibition. But, but you're right, when we do start talking about the money involved, and there's a big prize for the winner of the event. So it's not just the gamblers, too. So maybe they do need to be a little stricter with the rules going forward. Now, when you watch the home run derby, which was the most impressive home run that you saw? Or, or you know, where were you were just going like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing? It was Julio. Julio was so – he was really becoming a fan favorite, which, you know, there wasn't a Dodger in the crowd. Corey Seager was the former Dodger who uh, got the last invitation – I would have liked to maybe seen even Mookie or Freddie Freeman, a Dodger that's actually on the roster, be a part of the the events. Um, but there were still several big names. And Julio Rodriguez, being 21 years old, lighting it up with 30-plus home run rounds, he was the guy that everyone was rooting for and was cheering for the hardest. And, um, you know, Soto, with all the drama that had come into the week where the reports came out, he did not want to sign that 15-year, $440 million contract extension. All of a sudden – the Nationals are reportedly going to be offering or listening to trades with maybe one of the best five players in baseball. So that was interesting for him to go out and block out the noise and win the Derby. But yeah, Julio was probably the most fun to watch. And I think just his stroke, his, his, uh, you know, just enthusiasm for the game and being one of those young rookies that you can see growing the game in the next five to 10 years. 
There's a couple big stories involving local Cubs players. Uh, obviously, the Contreras brothers, you know, that's the first time since the Alomar brothers, I believe, that you had brothers in the starting lineup. You had uh, Wilson catching and William was the DH. How fun was that for their family? And did you get to kind of talk to uh, Wilson at all during his time there? I did. We talked to both brothers, uh, Wilson and William, uh, several times. And, um, you know, I don't think Wilson stopped smiling the entire week in L.A., honestly. He was... I think the happiest I've seen him as a cub, just because this was all about family. If you remember his backstory, you know, he grew up in Venezuela. He gets signed by the Cubs when he's 16. His brother's six years younger. So he leaves basically for a professional career when his little brother's 10. And they, you know, aren't together at all. His family's not in the U.S. until this year. And now his brother's in the majors, 24 years old, makes an all-star team, is really kind of a part-time player with the Braves. And they're back to back in the batting order, which, I mean, any one of those things is incredible. But to put them all together is is really an, an unbelievable story and a, cre a credit to the Contreras family, to their parents who were there. They got to experience this with them um, when I you know, was at the red carpet event. It was all of them walking together to so the brothers, the parents, William and Olga, um, spouses, siblings beyond uh, just William and Wilson. So. That was really cool. And yeah, Wilson, you know, we asked him, like, did you take him? I asked him last night, did you take a moment to really let this all sink in? He said, yeah, after the first inning, I kind of took a moment to myself and looked around, you know, and because he came up to bat last in the first inning, struck out, and Wilson was, or excuse me, William was basically on deck when he was at the plate, which, you know, you're thinking about that and you're like, man, that's amazing. They, and I asked him, had they ever played baseball on the same team together? He's like, no, you know, we would play like when we're really young together but nothing organized and so for this to happen in an all-star game and for this to be something positive when the cubs have had a tough season and when wilson has been at the forefront of all these trade rumors and he was great about answering those questions too and you know he did say to us that he has this feeling he doesn't feel like he's going to um not i should phrase it this way he told us he believes he'll be in a cubs uniform at an all-star game again so whether that means he gets traded and might sign back or, or whatever, he said he hasn't had those, those conversations yet, but um, in his gut, he feels like he's not done being a cub. So for him to deal with all of the outside noise and to have a good time with his brother and his family here, it was really, really cool to see. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, like you said, being able, being with his family and he said that, you know, that would be more to a, the world series and both brothers got a world series ring, but I remember those comments and I'm like, you know, you giving the backstory about how apart they were and separated because, uh, you know, of everything. It, it's just remarkable. But yeah, you know, when I heard that comment from Wilson, there's just so many people that just wonder why this, why it's so difficult to want them, you know, whether it was the, an extension or something prior to the season or even the talks Wilson said, he's been open to, talk. you know, some guys say after spring training, I'm done talking. He's always said, a, had a willingness to want to work out a deal with the Cubs, and it just doesn't seem like it's reciprocal. Well, I mean, it's not just him, right? We've seen that the last now two years with guys who are unable to reach extensions, um, and we've heard different sides of that story, whether it's Jed Hoyer saying the money was there and they didn't want to do it, or Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryans and Javi Baez being like, mm, we weren't offered what we what we wanted. And, of course, Rizzo, if I think the report initially was like 5 for 85 last year, and he – signs a much lower deal to go and stay in New York where admittedly he's having a, a really nice year 
taking advantage of that short porch in right field as a left-handed <laughs> hitter, Yankee Stadium, and also playing for a team that is probably going to win the World Series, um, or at least uh, has the best chance right now. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I talked to Ian Happ about that too this week because, you know, Happ's another name that you hear. I think it's un, it's less likely he gets traded here. He's still got another year left on his contract, but, you know, he's finally reaching his potential. And I, you know, I asked him, like, you're seeing some of your old teammates here, like Schwarber and Jock Peterson was here. Wilson's going through it. Like, what have they told you about this? You know, and he's like, listen, it's like kind of getting traded from Facebook to Twitter. You know, you got to just completely pack up your life. You got to potentially go from a different area of the country. Like if you were in New York going to L.A. potentially and for him being in the middle of the country, if he gets traded wherever, it's still it's still a lot on him and his, his fiance, his family. And that's the part I don't think we talk enough about when it comes to these athletes. It's just like, oh, they're traded. You know, we just we view it from like a fantasy baseball lens where it's just like, oh, you know, we're treating these players like property almost. And really, it's that they're humans and they're going through this as human beings, too. Um, but he did say, look, all the guys that got traded, they're happy with where they're at. They got their money. They're, you know, for the most part, performing well, except Javi. Javi's really struggling with Detroit. And Chris is doing better now that he's off the I.L. in Colorado. Um, but you know, he said, look, we all get to still play, play baseball at the end of the day. And as much as I would love to be a cub, it hasn't happened with some of the guys in the past. So we'll see how it plays. Well, that was not, that was another great story though, is Ian Happ, how, you know, you go from last year being one of the worst hitters and being, uh, given a part-time role, losing his full-time role to having one of his best seasons. Uh, the story of David Ross telling him and him getting so emotional, that really, was an amazing story, and I, I bet he just had the best time out there. Another part of the human element, right? When he's breaking down and crying almost a year to the date that David Ross brings him into the office and says, hey, I'm going to basically have to bench it, kid, because you're hitting under the Mendoza line, and we just can't do anything um, with you on the field right now until you kind of figure it out. And so the ups and downs that Ian, Ian Happ has gone through, you know, it reminded me a little bit of, another first round pick that hasn't had that trajectory we thought would, which is Albert Almora, right? I mean, he's one of the first first round picks of the Theo Epstein regime and he's on the 2016 team. You know, he's, he's the pinch runner. He scores the, at the time, go ahead run in the world series. And he is a great defensive player. And then it just never really clicked for him um, offensively. And he had that scary moment a couple years ago in Houston where he, he had a foul ball and it hit a little girl. And, it, you know, I've heard from some people that that might have really messed him up um, mentally, too. But, you know, now he's with he's Cincinnati, right? He was with the Mets. So it just hasn't really panned out for Alberts the way that a first-round top-10 talent most likely is headed towards. And Ian, another top-10 pick, you were probably looking at maybe the, a similar trajectory where it was going to be up and down, had some moments, but never really reached his potential, especially last year at the time when, you know, he, like I said, was really struggling. But since about now, last year, so say the last 160 games of uh, 70 this year, 60 um, last year, he's about a 130 weighted runs created plus 270 hitter, 25 home runs. He's a really good major league ball player and obviously evident by him making the all-star team. And, you know, I asked him, in the, the locker room last night, I was like, so your, your on-base percentage is uh, 1,000 in the All-Star game. He's like, yeah, you know, pretty good. I was happy about the walk, but was happy to be, you know, just, he was just happy to play. Happy to get an at-bat, happy to play in center field for a few innings as well. And, uh, again, another guy who was just smiling and just enjoying the experience. Yeah, I'm sitting there looking, and there's Kyle Schwarber in left, and there's Ian in center. And, I, and there were, I think uh, Schwarber was batting in front of Ian. 
It was just weird. And, and you mentioned that red carpet. I, explain that whole process to me. They just <laughs> is it is it before the All Star Game? They just kind of come out and they're, they're just all dressed up. And how does that all work? Yeah. So they've done it a couple years now. Um, it makes most sense to have it here in Hollywood, right? Like if they're going to do a red carpet. But it's it's a show that is on MLB Network, and basically it was at. 11 a.m. Pacific time here, so six hours before the game in downtown L.A., right by the state. If you've been to L.A., there's the downtown area, there's the Staples, I guess, Crypto.com Arena, and then there's a bunch of the hotels, and there's this big plaza. That's where they had the draft, too. So they have literally a red carpet show, and the players dress up to the nines. They are in, like, really awesome suits or sometimes Jock Peterson wearing shorts or guys wearing no undershirt at all and just an open an open jacket. So the fashion uh, is really interesting to see, but they're with their spouses or their girlfriends or their families. Like I mentioned, the Contreras brothers were there together down the red carpet with their families and their parents. So that was really cool for them. Uh, Ian was with his fiance. Uh, Schwarber was with his uh, young child and his wife as well. So um, that was really fun for them. And it's just, it's another little cute thing they get to experience. There's fans that are there as well. And they're stopping to sign autographs. I talked to talked to Liam Hendricks, the White Sox closer, who uh, was with his wife, Christy, and I asked him, I was like, you know, I saw you stopping basically at every fan that I was asking you for their autograph or for a picture. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, I don't know the next time I'm going to be here. Uh, this is this is why we're doing it for the fans. Um, and hopefully m- most ballplayers realize that. So that was fun. And also you get to see Kate Upton because Justin Berlander was there. So she <laughs> literally is a runway model and uh, knows how to do that pretty well. So that was pretty cool. Well, Josh, thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming out here. I am hoping that I get to see you interviewing people on the Wrigley Field sometime in the next few years. I've been waiting for so long now, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. Where can people follow you to find all your good work and pictures? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Um, They can uh, follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Friedman. Instagram is just Josh. Friedman, F-R-Y-D-M-A-N. And then uh, we host the nightly GN Sports Show at 10.30 on WGN. So that's at GN Sports TV. So you can join myself, Jared Payton. We got Caitlin Sharkey on board now. We have Chris Bowden. So we got a great sports team. They allow me to do things like travel to LA for all-star game coverage. So um, hopefully you you can tune in and and, uh, get a chance to see a nightly Chicago-based sports show. And we cover the Cubs, we cover all the teams, and uh, hopefully you get a chance to enjoy it. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks again for coming on. All right, Crowley. Appreciate it, buddy.
You're listening to Season 1, Episode 17. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. We're calling this one the second half begins in Crawley. As we record this on Thursday, the Cubs are gathering in Philadelphia. They're going to be taking on the Phillies. Game 1 is Friday night. And a reminder, the only place you can listen to the game, unless you have Apple TV, you won't be able to watch it. This is an Apple TV game. Friday, be with 670 the score for the entire Cubs-Phillies game. And I'm not sure. I'm going to double check because I wonder, was it Apple TV or was it Yahoo? I think, or no, or YouTube. It was YouTube that you could listen to Pat and Ron. So yeah, I'd listen to Pat and Ron personally. The picture's beautiful. Turn down the volume, turn on 670. The score would be my suggestion. Well, that's the only way to do it, Crowley. Oh, especially, man, that Apple TV's, the 4K is just unbelievable picture quality. So seeing that picture quality with Pat and Ron, that's the way I usually do it, but it's even better when you got the Apple TV broadcast. All right, so Friday night, we've got uh, Justin Steele, one of the guys it, we mentioned in the first segment of the podcast today that we're going to have our eyes on as the second half begins. So what do you expect in Friday night from Justin Steele, Crawley? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. The Phillies uh, are a pretty good team, but they're in a very tough division. They are, they're in the AL East. We saw what the Mets did. Uh, Atlanta's the defending champions, and they came on strong. And Philadelphia is in third place at 49 and 43. So if that just gives you any perspective, if they were in the Cubs division, they would be a game behind Milwaukee and St. Louis. So that just kind of gives you an idea of how, you know, Philadelphia being a third place team, they are a very good team. Make no bones about it. A lot of former Cub connections on here, including two guys that we love very much in Kyle Schwarber and, Uh, Nick Castellanos the trouble with the Phillies is that they said we don't care about defense we're just going to get a bunch of hitters and hit our way through and that you know people always forget 2016 Cubs could hit the ball pretty well that was one of the best defensive teams of all time and so defense really wins you a lot of games you can't have a bunch of guys that are bad gloves especially in the outfield and that's that's really hurt uh, Philadelphia so far this year. So when we take a look at game one, we do have Justin Steele three and six with a 415 ERA going up against Kyle Gibson, five and three, 435 ERA, 80 Ks. You know, the there isn't a lot of numbers between these two guys that we've seen. So the Cubs don't have a lot of experience and vice versa on it. Uh, you've talked about the development of the young pitchers, and that's mainly what we're going to be looking for when we look at these when we look at the season starting uh, right here with Gibson uh, Contreras has seen him twice. He bats 500. Jan Gomes uh, has seen him 32 times and bats 406. So that's maybe a good time to get Jan Gomes in there, but everyone else doesn't have more than five at bats against him. And then against Justin Steele, Nick Castellanos has seen him eight times. He's batting 500 against him. And we know how Nick Castellanos just loves to hit. Oh, he loves, he's going to, listen, I think Castellanos and uh, Kyle Schwarber are both going to want to try to uh, feast, if you will, on uh, on Cubs pitching. And I'm sure Kyle's a little red-assed after getting cheated again in the home run derby. I'm a little red-assed. He didn't perform better. That blew up my home run derby, Brad. Right, well, it shouldn't have been that close, right? He did get cheated, but he should not have put himself in a position to get cheated. Exactly. And, you know, what are you going to do? But it's... Uh, Yeah, he may come out looking to do it, but uh, we'll see what happens. Game two is the one that is going to be a very interesting matchup, in my opinion. You got 
Marcus Stroman going up against Zach Wheeler, another 605 star, or that would be what? 505 Central, correct? Right. And so that one will be a good one because we know how important Stroman's development is. I think not as important, but pretty darn close as the young guys right there. Stroman, 205, 469 ERA, 54 Ks. And Zach Wheeler, 8 and 5, 289 ERA, 108 Ks. So Zach Wheeler has had a great season so far. Uh, against Stroman, the Phillies, uh, D.D. Gregorius has 38 at-bats. He hits 289. Uh, Reese Hopkins doesn't hit him at all, 11 at-bats, .91. J.T. Real Muto, 14 at-bats, .357. And Kyle Schwarber, who you just talked about, he's only seen him seven times but has hit .429. Uh, wow. Zach Wheeler, the Cubs against Zach Wheeler, Wilson Contreras in seven at-bats, .286. Jan Gomes in 11, .455. So Jan Gomes really likes to hit against some of these Phillies pitchers. So let's see, maybe he has a big series. Uh, and then Rafael Ortega, 12 at bats, 250 average. No one else really has that much experience against our friend Zach Wheeler. As we have an early game on Sundays, uh, Crowley, I'm not feeling super confident uh, so far. So what do we have as far as a matchup on Sunday afternoon? Well, it's 11.05, so wake up early, get that coffee, turn on Pat and Ron, but uh, this is going to be one of, this is a, another one of these weird streaming deals, so the score, once again, is going to be your best friend. They are going to be on the Peacock Network. So does that mean Jason Benetti? Is Jason on the call for that one? I believe so. So uh, I'm, I don't want to say for sure, but it's another, uh, you know, Mark, he only gets one game coming out of the gate. They can't be thrilled with that. So, Crowley, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you can pull the string and I'll be a Woody doll once again. Just please don't get swept. Just please don't get swept. Take one of the three games in Philadelphia and get this thing off on the right foot. I'm hoping that one is game one with Justin Steele. I'm hoping he's able to put in a good performance. What uh, What is your prediction for this three-game series against the Phillies? Well, looking at Drew Smiley and the numbers the Phillies have, the Phillies haven't announced their starter just yet, but they hit Smiley pretty good. Castellanos, 375 and 16 at bats. Uh, Yairo Munoz, 500, but small sample size. Kyle Schwarber, 429, seven at bats. So for me, I would say one out of three games the Cubs would take out of that. And the Cub that I'm really looking to click right here, I think – Nico Horner has a big series and continues his 2022 phenomenal campaign that he has had so far. Yep. All eyes on a guy like Nico Horner, Christopher Morrell and Seiya Suzuki from the offensive side. And it'll be Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman, who I'm most interested from the pitching side for these games out in Philadelphia, starting Friday night. I will. I do want to add, though, as as we kind of go in and we talked about the score being a great place to listen to Cubs games and having Pat Ron and Zach on the pre and post game and all the fun there is. Uh, yesterday, I came and visited you at Real Time Sports at Elk Grove for 670 The Score's 30th anniversary party. And can I just tell you, I, I was there for a while and then I had to drive up to Wisconsin, so I listened the whole way up. Just such a remarkable broadcast, and and what a I'm so happy that the Cubs are on the score, and you have a dedicated sports network with such great talent that talk about the Cubs, and and for this podcast, for the Fly the W podcast, to be a part of the Score family, yesterday was just really special, and and hats off to you, Dustin, and the rest of the guys. 
uh, the morning show and, and all the other shows that were out there. It was just such a great day. Well, thanks, Crowley. That means a lot coming from you. I know you're a diehard, hardcore sports fan. Listen to plenty of sports talk radio. It is great to have the Cubs as part of our team, and, and we were lucky enough to get them just in the nick of time as they won the World Series on 670, the score. So, And I'm very grateful to uh, have been part of uh, 13 of the, uh, of the 30 years working with the morning show. And looking forward to uh, many more. Absolutely. So that's a wrap of season one, episode 17. We called this one. The second half begins as we are just on the other side of the all-star break. And we hope you listen to this ahead of the Cubs taking on the Phillies out in Philadelphia. And don't forget to follow us on our socials. We do. We are on uh, Twitter and Instagram at fly the W six seventy Facebook. We are at fly the W and our email address is fly the W six seventy at gmail.com.